Let's go ahead and start. Wes, um, Wes asked me to come uh, help him co-teach this class, and um, of course he gives me the fun topic. He, he gets to talk about marriage and you know the joy and the fulfillment that you have out of the marriage relationship, and I get to come up and talk about divorce. Um, but you know, in all seriousness, one of the reasons that uh, I can do that is because I myself am divorced. And so if any of you out there um, have gone through divorced, um, you know, and you know how difficult it can be, um, I'm here to kind of talk to you about, hey, what does the Bible say about that? And to let you know, if, if nothing else I want you to take away from today, if, if, if you've gone through divorce, is that God, while God hates divorce, he does not hate the divorced person. Okay? He still loves us very much, and that's why he hates divorce. And we'll talk about that a little, in a little bit. Um, but I want to tell you just a little bit about my story, a little bit about my background. I mean, I, I spent almost exactly 40 years um, with myself as my God, okay, um, without knowing the Lord, without uh, – I grew up in a, in a work-based um, environment. We'll just leave it at that. And uh, it had no appeal to me. And uh, as soon as I left the house, you know, I stopped um, any sort of invo- involvement in, in church, religion, spirituality, whatever you want to call it. And I made myself the center of my universe, and as a result, my decisions were based upon that, too. And I uh, got married, was together, between dating and marriage, was together for almost 10 years with my wife. And um, we got divorced at the time that we were married, neither of us were believers. At the time that we got divorced, neither of us were believers. And it was after that that I did the classic guy uh, mistake, you know, number one thing that we tell you not to do when you go through divorce care, and that is I immediately jumped into another relationship. Um, I didn't want to deal with my feelings. I didn't want to deal with the results or the fallout or the consequences of my divorce. And so I was all, since I was all about me, I was going to do what made me feel good, and that was to jump into another relationship because then I could feel good about myself. Well, see, she doesn't want to beat me up, but this one over here does, you know, and, and so on. And, so, and as a result of that, I ended up having a child out of wedlock. Um, but it was through that whole process, through that process of divorce, through the process of yet another failed relationship after that, and then finding out that I was going to have a child out of wedlock, that it was God actually, as, as Wes mentioned earlier, sometimes God's love to us at the moment may not appear to be very loving. It was God lovingly doing what it takes to break me and to bring me to my knees so that I would ultimately turn to him. Okay, and that's what happened. It was just wasn't long after my daughter was born, and that relationship, you know, was was clearly not where I was going to reside long term. That um, I made, you know, I met somebody who invited me to come to Watermark. And I came, and on the first Sunday, listening to a message from Todd, I'm like, okay, I can come back here. You know, I like listening to the, the, the truth that was coming from him. He was talking about his own life. He wasn't just pointing a finger at us out in the audience, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And before you know it. I had started coming into divorce care, met Wes, um, and um, I thought that I was going to talk to Wes about my divorce and you know, my ability to remarry and all the rest of that stuff, and we spent 55 minutes of our hour together. Wes had no interest in that whatsoever. He's like, Richard, where are you with the Lord Jesus Christ? Is he your Savior? Is that what you're banking your salvation on, or are you going to continue to bank it on you and your works? Okay, and you know, I consider Wes one of my dear, dear friends to this day if, for that conversation and for no other. Um, but there's a lot of other reasons. But he, he loved me enough and he cared enough about me to have that conversation with me. He's like, Richard, right now it's not about your divorce. It's about you and your relationship with the Lord. You know, where are you going to go if that ambulance is headed for you? Okay, 
and and that conversation is what ended up leading me to come to divorce care, and just a, a, a series of God ordained events, just you know, again, kind of breaking me, bringing me to my knees, and ultimately bringing me to repentance and bringing me to dependence upon Him. Um, and it just was a was a really really sweet but difficult time in my life. Um, so with that being said, I just want to kind of set the stage that hey, if you've been through divorce, um, I, I can I, I feel some of your pain, okay? Because I've been through it before, and that's why we're going to talk about uh, why God hates divorce. So what I want to start out with today is you know. Kind of like what Wes did with, with the marriage piece. So we want to talk about the Old Testament viewpoint. We want to talk about the New Testament viewpoint. And then ultimately we're going to talk about some of the provisions that have been made for divorce. And again, I want to reiterate what Wes... And I'm, I'm going to reference several things that Wes talked about before. Just because marriage and divorce are so so you know uh, intertwined with one another. And, and the scripture is as well. But... Um, um, we're going to, so we're going to talk about the Old Testament viewpoint, we're going to talk about the New Testament viewpoint, and we're going to talk about the provisions that are made, but again, I want to emphasize that these are not God's preference. Okay, There are provisions that are made, but they are not God's preference. God's preference is for our marriages to remain intact, okay, to, and not just to remain intact, but to ultimately to be a reflection of his covenant relationship with us, and the covenant relationship that we have in our wives. Okay, so in the Old Testament, we talked about God's original design uh, all the way back into Genesis 1, okay, all the way back into Genesis 2, okay, God talks about how he wants a man and a woman to come together to become one flesh, okay, become one flesh and to stay together and to pursue oneness with one another, just like God pursues oneness with us, okay, and it's when we get into Deuteronomy 2, 20, 21 through 24, I believe. Uh, I will read this to you. Okay. Verse, uh, chapter 24, verse 1. If a man marries a woman who becomes displeasing to him because he finds something indecent about her, and he writes her a certificate of a divorce, gives it to her, and sends her from his house, and after he leaves his house, she becomes the wife of another man, and her second husband dislikes her and writes her a certificate of a divorce, gives it to her, and sends her from his house, or if he dies, then her first husband, who divorced her, is not allowed to marry her again after she has been defiled. That would be detestable in the eyes of the Lord. Okay? And so what came out of that, this is Moses writing to the Israelite people. Okay? And what he's doing is he is permitting divorce in this case. Okay, and we'll get into some of the whys that he did that in, in a minute. But again, I want to reiterate that this isn't God's preference, that he's permitting these things, and that this is a mosaic provision that came well after God has made it clear to us what he wants us to do. All these things came after the fall, after sin had entered the world, and after um, the consequences of those things are rolling forward. <clears throat> so what came out of that mosaic provision is there were two different camps that kind of came out. There's Halil and Shammai. Okay? These are two rabbinical camps, if you will, that looked at this passage and said they interpreted it in essentially two different ways. And the reason I want to spend just a little bit of time talking about that is because when we fast forward to the New Testament, those are the people that are going to come to talk to Jesus. And they're the ones that are going to address him in Matthew 19. And they're the ones that are going to essentially try and test or try and trick Jesus into an answer and trying to validate one camp or the other as to this is where uh, or how that passage should be interpreted. Okay? And the Halil camp interpreted that passage very liberally. Okay? And if you look at the beginning of that where it says um, if a woman becomes displeasing to him Okay, very open-ended, and they even went to the extreme of saying, you know, if, if for any reason, 
for any reason that the, the woman displeased the husband, he could write her a certificate of divorce and send her on her way. The Shammai, they looked at that and they, they took a more conservative approach to it and they said that was more limited towards uh, sexual immorality or adultery or something of a much more limited scope. Okay, And so those are the two camps that are going forward. But the reason that this is significant is... <clears throat> You know, spend a little bit more time on this. Is at the time we're we're looking at a very patriarchal society, okay, and 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 the, and the male's role is to provide for the woman. And back in this culture and at this time, if you were an adult woman and you had been married, and all of a sudden your husband is not there to take care of you through death or divorce, if you didn't have your family to go back to, you were in a very very bad way, okay. And so if men are just randomly writing certificates of divorce and casting these women out into the culture with nobody to provide for them, these women are in a really difficult place. And so one of the things that Moses is doing is saying, write this certificate of divorce, but that allows her to go get remarried. And that allows her to go find another man who will be able to provide for her and to be provision for her. Okay? But also you read in that passage, it's talking about that there's no remarriage Okay, if she goes off and she gets married to somebody else, and even if that husband dies, you're not to remarry that woman. So I think at the same time what you're looking at is that what Moses is saying there is he's taking the time to say, hey, guys, think twice about what you're doing here. Because you send her away, she is not coming back. Okay? Because what <clears throat> I've heard Todd mention this before on Sundays, what was actually happening at times is that there were guys who were, you know, somebody caught their eye over here, so it's like, I'm going to write my wife a certificate of divorce for six months, and I'm going to chase this fancy and this fling that I want over here, and then I'll divorce that one, and then I'll come back and I'll get the wife of my youth again. Okay? And so we almost had, like, legalized wife swapping going on. Okay? And so Moses wrote in there, no, there'll be none of that. You divorce her, you're done with her. Okay? And... She's gonna, if she marries somebody else, which is most likely what she's going to do, there's not going to be this back and forth, back and forth. Okay, so guys, think twice about what you're doing. <clears throat> um, so that just kind of gives you a snapshot of the Old Testament um, um, perspective on divorce. Move forward to the New Testament. We go to Matthew 19. We'll start in verse uh, 3. Okay, Jesus had just left a large crowd of teaching and says some Pharisees had came to him to test him. Okay, and these Pharisees are from the the the, the groups, the Halil and the, and the Shammai. They came to him and they to test him. And they asked, "Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason?" Okay, and that kind of goes back to what I was just saying about the Halil. They were saying, "If anything displeases me, I can divorce her." So they're asking, "If anything displeases me, am I allowed to divorce her?" So let's look at what Jesus' answer was, starting in verse four. He says, "Haven't you read?" He replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. Therefore what God has joined together, let no man separate. Now we're going to go on further through that passage, but Jesus stops right there. And the reason I want to note that is because what has Jesus done? He has gone all the way back to Genesis 1 and 2 and that is what he has quoted to him. He has answered, God's ideal, okay? This is what God wants for you. And then he stops, okay? There's my answer. There's my answer to your question. If you're going to be married, stay married. It's a divine, ordained institution. God puts you together. There's no man, 
No, no judge that should be able to tear that apart. But the Pharisees weren't satisfied, so they said, Why then, they asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? So when I read that, let's give them the benefit of the doubt that they're genuinely a little bit confused, and maybe, and maybe they had thought to themselves, well, um, maybe the pr- provision that Moses had given superseded what was given to us in Genesis 1 and 2. Let's give them the benefit of the doubt for a minute. Um, but clearly, Christ corrects them. And as we go on there, he says, Jesus replied, he said, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because of the hardness of your hearts, okay, or because your hearts were hard. But it was not this way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for marital unfaithfulness, and marries another woman, commits adultery. So in Jesus' answer to their second question, what he's doing is he is affirming God's original plan for marriage. Okay? And at the same time, he's saying, look, yes, Moses permitted this, but let's stop for just a minute and look at why did Moses permit this. It was because of the hardness of your heart or because your hearts had become hard. Okay? So I love this. And you, as, as you read through the New Testament, you read through um, the Gospels, it, so many times people had come to test Jesus and to try and get him, steer him one way or the other. And the, the two things that I love that he does is he always goes back to Scripture to answer. Right? He always gives them an answer, and, and, and in doing so, he's like, the answer's here. You've had the answer all along, but I'm going to go ahead and remind you. Okay? And, and, and he always dodges, not dodges, but he always takes their original intent, intent and turns it around, and in some cases like this, uses it to point out the brokenness in their own heart, which is what he's done here. He's just like, yeah, you guys were permitted to do this, but I want you to stop and turn around and look. And the reason that these things were permitted is because your hearts have become hard. Okay, but the other thing to take from this is that Jesus has given a provision for divorce. Okay, Jesus has affirmed the Mosaic law, and He says it is permitted. Again, it's not ideal, but it is permitted. So as we start and we we look at um, a biblical view of divorce and some of the things that um, um, are permitted, where divorce is permitted, then adultery is going to be one of them. Okay. Um, I didn't keep up with my slides here. Okay, so uh, Christ's answer includes adultery. Okay, emphasizes that it's permission and not uh, preference. So I want to spend just a minute or so defining adultery. Now the Greek word that's used in the in in the the scriptures is pornea, and again, like a lot of things, you can you can find people that will define that word pornea in different ways. Okay, but we won't what there won't be much argument or debate on is that it's sexual immorality from. Our perspective here at Watermark and the way that the elders and, and, and Wes, who has helped work up our, our, our statement here on divorce and remarriage, when we look at adultery, we're talking about ongoing, unrepentant behavior by one party or both parties in the marriage. Okay, We're not talking about uh, the businessman or woman who's off in Cleveland one night and has a couple glasses of wine too many and makes a horrific mistake and then comes home, acknowledges the mistake and repents and confesses and repents and and, and wants to, to restore the marriage. That isn't necessarily what we're referring to. Now, is that adultery? Yes, it's adultery, okay? But it's not an ongoing, unrepentant uh, pattern of behavior. 
Well, I just gave one example here. Psalm 51:17 says that well, one thing that God will not despise is a broken and repentant heart, a broken and contrite heart. If God doesn't despise those things, then we don't should not despise those things either. If God's got room for grace and mercy and forgiveness for that individual, then we, as a marriage partner, need to extend grace and mercy and forgiveness to that individual as well. Yes, Kimberly? Um, that's a good question. So if, if, let me restate your question make sure I'm understanding what you're asking. Um, I mentioned grace, mercy, and forgiveness, and you're, what you're asking is, am I supposed to extend that even though the, the, the offending party hasn't come forward and asked for it or even acknowledged the, the infidelity? Um, I think the answer to that would open up kind of another discussion about how do we, uh, as a spouse, as a completer in a relationship, love our partner, okay? And if we know that there's a sin issue going on in our partner's relationship, Scripture calls us, Galatians 6.1, for example, calls us, says that you who are righteous to go forward to them, okay, and to address that sin with them, okay? And there's a correction process in Matthew 2 that we can get into as well um, to talk about when something like that happens, how do we address it, okay? First thing is we go to that individual and we lovingly and caringly gracefully, hey, say, hey, this is something that, that I see that is going on in your life, okay? And Scripture tells us that if we, if we talk to that, you know, that brother or sister of Christ and we win them back, then that's a great thing. But if they don't listen to us, the next step is to take two or three witnesses with us, okay, to affirm things, okay? And so we bring two or three people with us. And, and in context here, we talk about community groups. You hear us talk about community all the time. That would be a place where your community group would come in around you and say, hey, there's something going on in this relationship, okay? And we need to talk about it, and we need to lovingly call you to repentance and to call you back into Christ-like behavior, okay? And if the community group, for whatever reason, can't do it, well, then you bring it into the church. And you might, in, in, in this case, you would bring it to, say, Wes, or John McGee, you know, the marriage ministry here, okay? And we would talk about that, and then the church would get involved because there's a church correction process. And so those are some of the steps that we would go on if you've got somebody who's hiding their behavior, okay? You know something's going on, they're hiding their behavior, and they're unrepentant. Wes, anything you want to add to that? Okay, okay. Kimberly, did I answer your question? Okay, good, thank you. Um, so... First provision for divorce would be adultery, okay? And again, just to emphasize, we're not talking about a single or a limited time event where the offending party comes forward, they acknowledge their sin, okay? They ask for forgiveness, and then they, become, they begin the redemptive work of restoring the relationship. We're talking about something more like Kimberly had described where there's a party who's off, they're, they're, they're caught in a sin pattern, they're hiding from it, um, and there's not any uh, representation of a repentant attitude or a repentant behavior. Okay? Any other questions on that? Okay. Um, next, I want to move to um, Paul's writings. And um, yeah. um, in 1 Corinthians, um, Paul writes to the city of Corinth. Okay? I want to give you just a little bit of context to the city of Corinth. That was a major, major metropolitan area uh, during those times. It was a major port city. Okay? And from things I read and things I understand, we could kind of think of 
it being a major metropolitan area, it being a major port city, a lot of sailors coming in and out of there. Um, a lot of I've heard heard it being referenced to, to uh, being kind of like a modern day New Orleans or Las Vegas. Okay, a lot of uh, illicit behavior, a lot of immoral behavior going on there, uh, prostitution, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But this is the audience to whom Paul is writing. Okay. Also, what's going on at that time is there uh, are some false teachings that are going on. There are people that are uh, trying to highlight singleness over marriage, okay, and saying that if you remain single, that there is spiritual intimacy that you can attain that will supersede any sort of uh, intimacy, sexual or otherwise, that you might be able to have in marriage. And some of that came out of some Greek teachings and some Greek schools of thought of the day, okay? And I point that out because part of Paul's response is going to be kind of to, to, to talk about that because there's a lot of people. Also remember, Paul's talking to the Gentiles, okay? Paul's whole, whole ministry was to the Gentiles, whereas Christ, when he was talking, he was talking to, his, his audience was primarily to the Jewish people, okay? And so what you're seeing here is Paul's talking to, to he's planting churches, okay? And he's got uh, Gentiles who are, he's converting to the faith, Okay, and so in some cases what you're going to have is you're going to have maybe a husband has come to the faith and the wife hasn't, or a wife has come to the faith and the husband hasn't. Okay, and if they're hearing these false teachings about singleness, maybe there's going to be a leaning towards wanting to be moved to be single and to pursue this spiritual you know, uh, intimacy that's being referenced there. Okay, but in doing so, that would break a marriage. Okay, and Paul, what Paul is going to end up saying as we get into this passage is, no, we don't want to do that. A mixed marriage is better than breaking a marriage. Okay, so let's look at that passage, 1 Corinthians um, 7, 10 through 16. It says, to the married, I give this command, not I, but the Lord. A wife must not separate from her husband, but if she does, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband, and a husband must not divorce his wife. To the rest I say this, I, not the Lord, if any brother has a wife who is not a believer, and she is willing to live with him, he must not divorce her. And if a woman has a husband and who is not a believer, and he is willing to live with her, she must not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband has been sanctified through his wife, and the unbelieving wife has been sanctified through her believing husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. But if the believer leaves, let him do so. A believing man or woman is not bound in such circumstances. God has called us to live in peace. How do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? Okay? So as you read that passage, you go back to what I said before. Okay, there's, there's, there's ideas of singleness uh, that are being pur- uh, purported during the day. Okay? That might be encouraging some people to break a marriage. Okay? Also keep in mind that he's talking to the Gentiles. Okay? And when, when Christ was talking to the Jews, this idea of a believing versus non-believing spouse, that wouldn't have even occurred to them. 
okay? Because they were married, they married within their own culture, okay? And, and, and they followed the same faith. But now all of a sudden, as Paul is out there converting people, there's oftentimes going to be a case where there may be a husband who's a believer and a wife who's not a believer. And so this is an issue that's come up. And I think when I first read this passage four or five years ago, and as I was going through and processing through my own divorce and as to what I should do with my ex-wife regarding reconciliation and so on, I read that passage, and there's the, the part there where Paul, Paul writes, I, not the Lord say this, okay? And I read that to say, well, hey, that came from Paul. That didn't come from Christ. So I can kind of dismiss that passage, okay? But I think as I reread this, you know, with a, with a more educated mind and a more prayerful mind, I read that and what I think was, what Paul is saying is like, look, Jesus didn't have to address this because of the audience that he's speaking to. I have to address this because of the audience that I'm speaking to. Okay, And so while I'm not going to reference Christ, I'm not going to reference his teachings, Okay, I am going to say this because my whole audience, my whole mission is talking to Gentiles. And this is something that I'm going to run into on a number of occasions. So I'm going to put this down on paper so that you guys know that it's there. Okay, Because I have people who come up to me and they ask me, well, you know, Paul said that this is from him. So is that, does that mean that it's not, even, uh, it's not scriptural, it's not from the Lord? And then, then we can get into the discussion of, in Timothy where it says that all Scripture is God-inspired. Okay? Yes? Okay, let me make sure I understand your question correctly. Uh, a woman has gone and, and talked to a priest? Is that? Oh, her father, her biological father. Okay. And sought and, and said, do I have permission to divorce? We're talking about a believing husband and wife? Absolutely. Both are believers? Okay. Okay, then I don't. Then I think that's probably, that's a mishandling of this of this scripture. Let me let me just can I uh, just repeat your question for the sake of the recording? So the the question is uh, um, looking at First Corinthians seven verse eleven. Um, you're saying that that uh, someone has used that verse to say that that Paul offers permission uh, for a, a believing spouse to leave another believing spouse. Um, uh, saying that, that this was Paul's permission for that. Okay, yes. And so the, the question is, is that what that verse says? You, obviously, your, uh, your understanding is that it's not. We would agree with that. And so this is not, uh, as you said, this is not permission for that wife to do that. This is, uh, this is an example of a wife who has chosen to do that against the counsel of God's word. And then this is now a, an instruction to... Uh, that wife. Now, if you if you do that, the next step of faithfulness, since you chose to be unfaithful in this one, the next step is that you would remain unmarried or reconcile. And it's also instruction for uh, the, the spouse that's been left of how they should respond. So, no, it is not a uh, a permission for that spouse to leave their husband or, or their wife, uh, as the case might be. It is just a, an example of someone who has gone outside of God's counsel and outside of God's word. And chosen to do this. And Paul's saying, uh, you know, the, the Bible is uh, one of the beautiful things about the Bible. The Bible is not a, uh, it is an idealistic book in that it presents the ideal, but it also is a realistic book in that it knows that though Paul is going to say and God's going to say, don't leave your, your spouse, there are going to be those who leave their spouse. And so then it offers instruction for, okay, so now what do you do? So that's what that verse is for. And if anybody uses that to say, then that's just a mishandling of God's word for sure. Yeah. Yeah, and this is you know, sadly, Dennis. 
um, this is something that we hear a lot going through divorce care, is that we hear a family and friends who try and give counsel to a, to a hurting individual, and oftentimes that counsel is based upon their own wisdom, okay, or it's based upon their own heart or their own desires for that individual, their desires for that person to no longer be unhappy, their desires for that person to be happy, okay, and oftentimes that counsel is not based on God's word. Okay, or in this case, a mishandling or a misrepresentation of God's word. And so that's, <clears throat> that's one of the big, big reasons why we stress community at Watermark. Okay, is we stress not going to one individual, okay, but going to a group of individuals and getting collective wisdom. Proverbs tells us that there's wisdom in the counsel of many, not the counsel of an individual. Okay, there very well may be wisdom in the counsel of individual, but oftentimes we can sit there and I can go and I can have five individual conversations with people in this room and I can cherry pick the, the advice that I want to put together some counsel that I think that I can live with versus sitting down with a, a, a group of people who I've been living and walking through my life with, who I know that care about me and I know can handle God's word well. And deliver the message, sometimes maybe not necessarily the message I want to hear in the moment, but God's truth is there sometimes to pierce our heart, you know, and to cut through. And and it, it, it breaks my heart to hear that this woman has received that kind of advice and that kind of counsel. Because it's not going to just hurt her, it's going to hurt a number of people. You're right, and Wes emphasized that earlier in the marriage discussion, that marriage is not about us. If I were to get married, it's not about me, okay? It's first and foremost about the Lord, and it's like Wes said, it's about uh, being a very, very pale representation of his covenant relationship with us. And then likewise, you know, if I were to love my wife, I don't love her such that I get my way and that I feel good. I love her through serving her, okay? And that that's what love is about. Okay, and so let, we're going to talk a little bit more about that because I'm going to go back to Malachi uh, 2:16 where we talk about why God hates divorce, and, and you're kind of you're kind of leading us there because these are some of the reasons why God hates divorce. What that does talk to, uh, lead us to though is this passage from Corinthians, this, this teaching from Paul, and. Um, you know, uh, West reference of First Peter earlier, which also reinforces what Paul just said about a believing husband or wife can provide uh, sanctification or be uh, uh, be a conduit for their non-believing spouse to come to knowing the Lord. Okay, so the second provision for divorce would be um, abandonment by a non-believing spouse. Okay, that would be another area where divorce is permitted. Not preferred, but it would be permitted. Okay, And when Wes talks about remarriage, we'll talk about a couple of different responses that you could have once you've been abandoned by a non-believing spouse or been abandoned by a believing spouse. Well, Wes will address that when we talk about remarriage. Okay, but, So there is a provision there for abandonment by a non-believing spouse. Oh, no, that... No, the first, Pe- the, the first Peter passage reinforces what Paul was saying about um, if, you're a believer, if you're a believer, stay with your non-believer if they're willing to stay with you. Okay, okay that's, that's what the first Peter passage ref- references. Okay, did that address your, your question? Okay. Okay. 
Uh, next, I want to go to what I was just talking to Dennis about, Malachi 2.16. So I am going back to the Old Testament for just a minute. But in that passage, it talks and it says, you can open up to that if you like. It's the last book in the Old Testament. Okay, Passage 2.16 says, I hate divorce, says the Lord God of Israel. And a lot of people stop right there. I want to finish the passage where it says, And I hate a man's covering himself with violence as well as with his garment, says the Lord Almighty. Okay, And so uh, I, I could sit here and spend the whole three hours that we have talking about why God hates divorce. Okay, and Some of the reasons are obvious. It hurts the husband. It hurts the wife. Okay? If there are children involved, it hurts the children, hurts them terribly. Okay? And it's not a, uh, we oftentimes will want to fool ourselves into believing, oh, they'll be okay, you know, six months and this will pass, etc., etc. I know a number of people uh, here at Watermark who, even as adults, uh, struggle with some of the fallout of you know, their parents having been divorced and how it impacts their intimate relationships going forward. Because one of the reasons that God wants us to stay married, and he, uh, wants us to stay married is because that's a model for our kids, too. You know, when God tells us in Genesis to go procreate, okay, he's not just saying go have babies. He's saying go, just like when he uh, set forth the animals, to, to procreate, he's like, you go and, you know, a cow makes another cow, okay? And a snake makes another snake, and a bird makes another bird. He wanted us to make more of who we were at the time. And that instruction that he gave us was before the fall. And so what he said is, I want you to go forward and make more holy, righteous people like Adam and Eve were at the time. People who are going to walk with me in the cool of the day in the garden. Okay, and so God's calling us to raise kids that are going to be the next generation of believers that are going to take his message out, just like he's called us to take um, his message out. Now he, he wants us to raise kids that are going to do that down the road. And when we introduce some brokenness like divorce into the relationship, uh, it complicates things. And it, it can stunt some of those relationships for our kids. And it can stunt, sometimes it can stunt their, their portrait of a loving God. We talked about the break that, you know, we're, uh, there's a class later this afternoon. Is why does God allow pain and suffering? Well, this is one of the huge areas of pain and suffering in the world is as a result of divorce. So it hurts wives, it hurts husbands, it hurts children. And what about all the friends? You know, you divide your stuff when you get divorced. Guess what? You divide relationships as well. You know, and usually the husband or the wife gets the friends, and the other party's left trying to find new relationships. You know, in-law relationships. You know, good relationships that have been there 5, 10, 25, or even longer. Well, now those things are strained, if not completely broken. So this is just a very, very short list of the reasons why God hates divorce, because he loves his people, and divorce hurts those that he loves. Okay? But the other reason I bring that passage up is because God hates, it also states, God does not use the word hate very often in the scripture. And so when he does, we need to take pause and we need to pay attention to that that he hates. Okay? He hates divorce. He also hates violence. Physical and sexual violence. Uh, whether it's against the spouse or the children. God hates those things. If you were here last weekend and you heard Gary Haugen from uh, International Justice Mission speak, just real briefly for those of you who weren't here, his mission, he's been on this for 10 plus years now, is to go literally around the world with his organization and to free children from either sexual or you know, labor, bondage, and slavery. 
Okay, And so what he spent some time talking about last weekend was um, about how God is a God of justice, okay, and that he also he hates injustice. But he went on to define what injustice is. And I'm going to paraphrase because I don't have the whole thing in front of me. But essentially what he was saying was that in God's economy, injustice is when those who are in positions of power and even positions that he has ordained them to be in, okay, and they abuse that power for their own good and for their own glory, Okay, or to take away the rights of the individuals that they were put in power over. Okay, so that's 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 my paraphrase of that of that definition of injustice, and that comes into play here when we talk about that God hates violence, because those who are perpetrating violence on a spouse or on children are unjust, and God hates injustice. Okay, and so I bring that up because. If there's violence, if there's physical or sexual violence against the spouse or the children in a marriage relationship, first and foremost thing I want you to hear, remove yourself from that situation or remove those children from that situation. Seek safety. Seek physical, physically remove yourself from that scenario. You know, or if you have a friend or a family member who you see that they are suffering from that kind of thing, while it might be an awkward or difficult conversation to have, it's a responsibility that we have to go forward and to assist them. I think it's been talked about enough that we all are familiar with the idea of battered wives syndrome. And wives oftentimes, for whatever reason, can't extract themselves from that situation, if that's the case. And we need to assist. And we need to step in and we need to be the Lord's hands and feet and to assist them to get out of that situation. It may just be temporary. Until that, you know, some discussion can be had with with the offending party, and we can work through some of those situations or some of those issues. So, first and foremost, a separation of the relationship might be required for a period of time. Okay, if there's physical or sexual violence that's going on in a relationship, there may be a, a period of separation so that the issues can be looked at and addressed and worked through. Uh, ultimately, the preference would be that there would be restoration of that relationship after the offending party has been able to work through some of those issues. And uh, again, this is a, a reason why we stress community. Okay, uh, We would not want an individual to leave for a week or two weeks or three weeks and then have the aggrieved party fall on their knees, ask for forgiveness, and then have them jump right back into an unhealthy situation. The community can come in and can help you to process through that and to make sure that the offending party is actually getting the help that they need before we put anybody back into a situation that could be potentially dangerous for them. Um, ultimately, it could be that this would be an opportunity, or this would be a, um, a scenario where the relationship would end, where the offending party is not willing to address their issues um, in a healthy and God-honoring sort of way, um, and they are not availing themselves to wise counsel, they're not availing themselves to correction, and so on and so forth. This very well may be a scenario where divorce would be permissible. Okay? Sure. Sure. So, to, to paraphrase your question, um, there are some camps, some churches, some people that might say that verbal abuse would be justification for a divorce. Right. No, no physical or sexual violence. Just verbal, verbal abuse. And I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna steal a quote from my, my. Uh, or from our divorce care videos, Tony Evans, who teaches down downtown Oak Cliff Bible, he says, look, when you put two sinners in the same room together for any sort of extended period of time, it should not be a surprise that there's going to be some conflict. 
Okay, there will be conflict, even in the best of marriages. I bet you Billy Graham's wife's got a few choice stories that she could tell. Okay, so there should not be a surprise to your point that, that there's going to be some conflict. Okay, now what's a healthy amount of conflict? What's an acceptable amount of conflict? That's a hard line to draw. Okay, I will say, and watermark and correct me if I'm wrong here, Wes, but I will say that in in our uh, doctrinal statement here on on that, we don't. We don't address verbal conflict. We don't address verbal abuse as being uh, a permissible area for divorce. That would be something where, as I, when I addressed Kimberly's question earlier, where I would say as a completer and as, as the other half of that one flesh relationship, that I would, uh, that I would seek uh, community. I would seek counsel and say, look, you are not loving me the way the scripture says that you're to love me. You are not serving me as the Christ uh, served the church. Okay, You're not completing me the way the scripture calls you to complete me if, if it's the wife. We need to go get some counsel on this. Okay, And we need to talk through these issues. Okay, And we need to come to a more healthy place than we are today. Yes, it does. And, and then I would go back to what I said before about the church correction process. Okay, You go to them yourself. You go to them with two or three witnesses. And then you can get the, church, the church's involvement in there. And... You know, then, then we have to start looking at that person. If they are continually, long-term, uh, uh, turning their back on Scripture, turning their back on uh, a church covenant relationship, then we have to look at, at, at their status in a different way. Wes, you want to so, comment yeah, on that? Just to repeat Kimberly's question for the sake okay. of the recording, just, uh, it, you know, if, if, the, uh, if the other party uh, is not willing to come back uh, or, or to come to uh, a meeting to discuss what's going on in the marriage and all that kind of stuff. You have one party that is dying for it and the other party that just could not be more disinterested or, or uh, more vehemently opposed to it, uh, then that, that does raise, you know, kind of a, a different set of standards. And, you know, just uh, if I can just interject one thing real quick, and, and I know Richard's about to get to um, uh, just kind of the three permissions uh, for divorce. Mm-hmm. But... Um, you know, I was talking with somebody this week uh, about just, you know, we, we hear stories all, you know, I, I probably have a different story coming through my door almost every day, you know, of uh, this is kind of the situation of this divorce. And, and you know, it's uh, all of them are unique. All of them are different. Um, you know, no two are alike. Uh, and, uh, you know, when John uh, closed the, the Gospel of John, he said about Jesus, he said, look, I, I'm just telling you a few stories about Jesus. If I could tell you all of them, there's no book in the world that could hold it all, and there's no library in all the world that could hold it. And, and I was kind of joking with a friend. I kind of feel that way about, you know, if God's Word were to address every kind of, um, uh, you know, detail and circumstance, uh, you know, there's just no book that could hold it all. And so what we have to do is we consider these situations as you think about your own uh, situations is you have to go, man, God, I've got to look at the principles of God's word. And what is what does his word have to say about, um, you know, in, in a very general sense? And then if that is true, then how does that apply to me today? You know, and so whether it's an unrepentance of uh, a spouse or, uh, you know, a situation where a counsel is being given that, you know, they're saying is from God's word, but in fact is not or, you know, justifying uh, those things. We have to look at the whole counsel of God's word and then go, OK, now now what is my response? And I, I think that's the that's the hardest thing, because oftentimes we uh, I see this most of the time where the, the, the focus wants to be on. How do I control that other person? How do I get them to 
come have this conversation or how do I get them to uh, understand that this is not what God's word says or, or whatever. Uh, and, and I think, frankly, I think sometimes the enemy likes it when we're distracted that way. Because it keeps us from focusing on, okay, look, this is the reality of my circumstance. And I can't make a decision for that other party. All I can do is look at myself in the mirror and go, God, what would you have me do today? In light of where I'm at, in light of how my husband's acting, in light of how my wife's acting or or, or whatever. And then, man, God, may I be the most obedient person on the planet given my circumstances. And that should be, I think, the focal point of, of what we do. Uh, and, and as we offer counsel, that's what we try to do. We just go, man, I, I wish, you know, in fact, when I first started this job, I'll never forget, like, one of the first uh, cases, if you will, that kind of came through. Boy, I was just, I'm going to go after your ex-wife. I'll call her, and I'll see if she'll come up here, you know. We'll meet, and we're going to put this marriage back together. And that was just the, the biggest train wreck ever. Because I was trying to, you know, finagle this thing. And I was trying to make sure, you know, trying to control the situation. And, and what I found very quickly through that circumstance is, man, just to, to wait on the Lord in these things. I mean, God, what would you, uh, you know, to, to pray about that? And then to concentrate on the person who is in that room mm-hmm. and go, okay, look, this is the nature of your situation. How can we help you best? to walk faithfully and humbly with God in the midst of what is just an absolute tornado of life right now, you know? And, and so that's where we want to focus our stuff. Uh, yeah, Richard, Richard okay. go ahead, buddy. That's right. And, and when we talk about that in, in divorce care, when we, you know, there's weeks we talk about reconciliation and things like that, and we talk about the fact that there are, there's one half of the, uh, of the marriage relationship that is ready and willing and prepared to reconcile, and the other half isn't. And sometimes, you know, there's an ebb and flow back and forth. That one person sat and they waited for two months, six months, a year, and then finally they kind of threw up their hands and then they drift away, and the other person is kind of, uh, finished with their, their their season of discontent or or, or you know um, behavior and willing to come back to the relationship and it's a matter of we, uh, being patient and waiting on the Lord for those both those people to come back to the same place at the same time and have willing open and repentant hearts so that the restoration process can be, can begin and so you know if, if you're in a situation or you got a friend or a family member who's in that situation pray your tail off for that individual who is not ready and willing yet. Um, and just pray that God would soften their heart and make them, you know, we, you know I love one of the quotes in, in, in the videos that we watch. It's like, Lord, just make me willing to be willing. You know, sometimes I'm not even willing, so just work on my willingness, you know, or work on the willingness of the other individual. Okay? Um, so uh, I hope, hope we answered your question there, Kimberly. Okay. Um, biblical view of divorce here. Just want to reinforce a couple of points with you. Um, as God hates sin... He loves the sinner. Okay, I said this at the outset. He hates divorce, but he loves the divorced individuals. And we see a lot of people who come in and they're just broken and beat down from divorce. And, and part of the consequence that the, the enemy wants to take advantage of is says, look, you know, God hates divorce and, and you're divorced and so he hates you. And that couldn't be further from the truth. God loves his hurting and broken people. Okay, Christ came, and you look at who he ministered to while he was here. He was always with the broken and hurting people. Okay, he was with the lepers, the prostitutes, and the tax collectors. 
Okay, so please keep that in mind. Um, we talked about why God hates divorce. Just a couple of practical steps that you can go through. Um, if this has impacted you, or if you've got a friend or family member that's impacted and you want to kind of come alongside them, um, evaluate your situation, but evaluate it in the light of Scripture. Okay, evaluate it in the light of God's Word. Um, mentioned to Dennis earlier that um, oftentimes we get counsel from people that is well-meaning and well-intended counsel, okay, but it's just not grounded in God's Word, okay, and so we've got to run it through the filter of God's Word when we listen to them. And I'll be honest with you, it's hard because you're already emotionally hurt and wounded. Okay, and your energy is drained, and there's a lot of other things that are going on in your life, and it's hard to put forth that extra effort. Oh, now I've got to go do this too? Yeah, you do. Take that counsel and run it through the filter of God's Word. And in some cases, and I had a friend do this with me uh, earlier in the week. We were talking about a particular issue. She's like, okay, but can you help me find that in Scripture? Because there's nothing in Scripture that's coming to mind. And I was like, man, thank you for asking me. Thank you for reminding me. You know, and we went, and you know, the counsel that I was giving, or the, the, the topic that we were discussing, there was Scripture that we could tie to it. But it's always great, and don't be shy about asking those questions. Hey, I really you know, like what I'm hearing from you. Can you help me find the scriptural reference that you're drawn from? Or is there a passage that you're leaning on as you're delivering that counsel to me? Don't hesitate to ask those questions. Okay? Seek wise counsel. I've said that several times. Can't overemphasize the value of community. Okay? Uh, and I italicized wise for a reason, as I just said. There's, there, there'll be no shortage of counsel coming your way, okay? That's not the issue. That's why I didn't say get counsel, okay? But get wise counsel. Get counsel from people who you know are grounded in God's truth and grounded in God's word, okay? And then lastly, um, I just want to kind of, uh, kind of summarize the three permissions, uh, not preferences, for divorce, okay? First being adultery. Okay, and we defined what adultery was, and we talked about uh, serial or unrepentant in nature, and not the one time or short period of time where then the offending party comes forward and they confess their sin and they're contrite and they're repentant and they're willing to work and do what it takes to restore their relationship. Um, that's a good question. Uh, the question was, where does uh, pornography fall into uh, the definition of a, a, adultery? Um, and in some ways, you know, it's a violation of the one man, one woman relationship, okay? And it is very, very hurtful to the relationship, very, very hurtful. Often, you know, majority of the time, it's, it's very hurtful to the woman in the relationship. And um, as we said before, that's an opportunity for, for you to go forward to somebody who's caught in a sin pattern, okay? And to lovingly address them. And if that doesn't help, then you bring a couple other people around. Um, and we've got a great ministry here at Watermark called Celebrate Recovery. And there are a lot, sadly, but joyfully, there are a lot of men who have come through that ministry and they have found a lot of victory over their struggles with pornography. Okay? And so that would, that would probably be the first place that I would direct somebody who I knew had a struggle with pornography. I would direct them to Celebrate Recovery. If you're not familiar with that, real quickly, it's a 12-step program, but it's based on Scripture. It's not higher power. We acknowledge that our higher power is Jesus Christ, and it's an opportunity for people to work through their issues, whatever those issues might be, pornography, you know, alcohol, drugs, etc., etc., to work through it in a healthy uh, group environment. Okay? Would, so your, your question is, would pornography fall under the definition of adultery, and would that uh, be permission for divorce? 
Wes, I'll, I'll lob that one over yeah. to you. <laughs> well, can, do you want me to wrap up kind of your, your section? Because I, I want to answer that question as well as kind of put a bow on what you just said there. Sure. Let me, let me just cover those other yeah, two points real quick, and yep. then we'll let Wes address the issue of, uh, of pornography. Um, the other permission for a divorce would be abandonment by a non-believing spouse. Okay, um, that, that uh, scripture says that we are to live in peace. Okay, and that it is permissible to allow a non-believing spouse to divorce. Now, I had somebody that I was spending some time with just a couple of weeks ago, and he's a believer, and his spouse is, you know, you know, got some stuff going on that's not appropriate. And he's like, "What can I do?" And my counsel with him does: if you're the believer in a relationship, you can't initiate divorce. Okay, you can allow your non-believing spouse to leave. But as a believer, we are not to initiate divorce. Okay, so I wanted to be clear on that point. And then lastly, abuse. If both are believers, then there should not be, uh, there should not be um, a divorce based upon that scripture that we referred to earlier in 1 Corinthians. Okay? Well, if there is a divorce, then as the, 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 the divorcing party should stay unmarried. Okay, and then Wes will, if you're the party that was willing to stay in the relationship, Wes will address uh, that topic in the remarriage portion, um, and we'll, we'll, we'll get to in just a minute. Okay, and then lastly, abuse. First and foremost, seek safety and separation from the abusing party, okay, and then get some counsel, um, try and get the offending party to address their issues, but ultimately, divorce would be permissible in those situations as well. Talking about physical, sexual violence or abuse, yes. Yes, okay? Thanks. Yeah, and so what, what I would say, just to kind of um, not really add to that, but um, I think what you see in all of these, and we, where we as a church fall out, where, um, where I think the scriptures are, are really clear, and, and so you know, just to your question about, well, what about pornography? Is that you know, when, when the word porneia is used in Matthew 19, um, you know, where Jesus says that, is that you know, referring to you know, potentially pornography? Well, I, I would say yes. Um, but I think what you see and, and what Richard puts up here and what's on the, the um, kind of our statement is this is th- there is a permission here, but there is not a preference. OK, God does not want you to go and pursue a divorce. And so uh, oftentimes what people will do is they kind of look for that silver bullet. Right. They're like, oh, look, you know, he, he uh, went on a business trip and had a one night stand with, you know, so and so. I've got permission. And really what's behind that is, man, I've been really unhappy in my marriage, you know, all along. And I want to, you know, be sure that I'm consistent with scripture. So what can I, you know, w- what can I find that would give me an out? Uh, and, and oftentimes, again, what's happened there is that they're, they're not uh, they they're more interested in finding an out than they are in really working hard to go, man, God, bring about, you know, change in this relationship. And so same thing, you know, with pornography, they're like, well, there's my silver bullet, you know. I mean, he's so addicted to porn that, you know. Well, the reality is, and what I think the scriptures teach is that I would say what, what is, I think there's one permission for divorce. I think you can take these three things and you can go, hey, I, I, I think you could sum all this up and go, where I believe that divorce happens is where, un- or where repentance does not. Okay, and so is por- you know is pornography uh, potentially a grounds for divorce? I-, I think it is if there's an unrepentant heart towards that. Okay, 
Now, if there's a guy who's struggling with pornography and is going to celebrate recovery, and he's working hard, but the reality is, is that he's so entrenched in it that he's fallen three times a week, or he's you know uh, struggling through once a month or, or, or whatever, but he consistently repents of that and is confessing that and is pleading with God to free him from that, does that wife have a, a right to leave? Absolutely not. Not in my book. Not in my book. And, and I, again, I think that's where, as Richard said, the, the value of community and the church comes into play. Why God set up the church is so that we can walk alongside of others as they go through that. Okay? So if there's just a husband and a wife and they're trying to make these decisions on their own, but that, that's just disaster written all over it because of the emotions that are tied up in that and the, uh, you know, the confusion and all that kind of stuff. But if there's a community group that comes around them, and walks with that sister and says, hey, let me help you, you know, through this time. Boy, stay strong, you know, stay faithful to him. Pray for him. He's working hard to do it. And that can affirm that. I think that's the other piece of it, too. Right? And so I, I want to have others that would go, uh, you know, man, this guy is, is knocking it out of the park. He's trying. He is struggling. But I see him making efforts in this way. And there are others that affirm that. As opposed to him just saying on his own, well, yeah, I'm working really hard. And, you know, for all we know, he's as soon as he can get home, he's in front of his computer again. You know, and we just go. And there's just if there's nobody else to affirm that in his life, then it's hard to make that call. And so I think that's the value of community, as Richard said several times really well earlier, uh, is that you need to have community that helps you think through these things that can see into these worlds. Right. Even as we talk about reconciliation with with folks, you know, um, uh, you know, people always, uh, you know, people who've been divorced and we're saying, hey, we ought to, you know, really need to consider reconciliation. They, you know, usually this kind of deer in the headlights look like, what did you just say? And don't ever use that word. You know, it's like we just cursed, you know, and uh, and and what they have in mind is we're just going, hey, look, go, you know, go to Vegas, get married, come back and we'll help your marriage. And, And that's not at all what we're saying. Usually that's a it's a year, two year, maybe longer process of hey, let us walk alongside of you guys individually, so that you know, wife over here, there's women that could say to this man over here, look, I'm walking with her and I see her to be a faithful person, and then husband over here, there's men walking with him that would go, man, look. I see him being really faithful, and he's telling the wife this, and so they're not just trying to make this decision on their own. But there are others around them going, hey, I see it. I see the repentance. I see the desire to get better. And yes, there are slip-ups. And yes, there are, you know, nobody's perfect and all this. But I see a, a general moving towards you know, uh, Christ-likeness in this. Great. Then we celebrate that and we can help that person to get connected. You know, help, help that couple to get connected and building a, a relationship. And so, again, I think the, the danger in this... and. I almost wish that we could just say as a church, uh, there's no such thing as permission for divorce. Because everybody will find a loophole for their situation. They'll go, well, I fit there, you know, and so it's verbal abuse, you know, and, and I see it in there. Well, you know what? Probably not. You know, probably not. Verbal abuse, is it consistent? Is there an unrepentance about it? Do they just go, ah, it doesn't matter. That's how I'm going to act and you can't change me? Well, that's a problem. That's a problem. Now, does that mean that we ought to counsel towards divorce? Again, probably not. But, you know, as Richard talked about, the separation piece of it, and uh, Piper in his book uses the term redemptive separation. 
that he thinks that there are times, and I agree with him, there are times where uh, separation is, uh, is appropriate, but only where the goal is redemption and reconciliation. Okay, And it's a really dangerous thing because as soon as you counsel separation, most people go, all right, we're done. We're done. Yeah. Where those decisions are made in isolation is where it becomes really dangerous. And so we are consistently going, okay, let us help you. Let us help you make that decision. And frankly, you're probably not going to like everything that we counsel, but we think that we're in a place to be more objective than you are. Okay. Uh, and, and so let us help you to make some more object, objective decisions in a very emotionally strenuous uh, circumstance. You know, uh, And so that's the value of the body of Christ, the value of community in that. Okay? Does that make sense? Any other questions on that? And then we're going to take a real quick break and come back and talk about remarriage, which will open up a whole other can of worms. So any other questions? Great. All right. Well, Lord, uh, just... We just want to take one second here just to, to pray and remember, God, that uh, this is all about you and for you. And, and, uh, and so, Lord, I just pray that you continue to guide our discussion, help our hearts to be open and attentive uh, to what you want to say to us. And, uh, and Lord, may we just be faithful uh, with the word of truth that you've given us. Lord, we love you. We thank you for loving us. God, that, uh, just as Richard said so well, God, that you hate divorce. You hate it because you see what it does to your children. You see what it does to this world. And, uh, and so, God, I just pray that um, we would hate it just as much as you do, but yet, Lord, that we would, like you, love those who have, been, um, have made that choice or have had that choice made for them, God, that we might love them really, really well. And so we just pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.